Turn to John chapter 6, verse 41. Shortly after Jesus fed 5,000 men with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish, many have followed him from the mountain where he fed them to the other side of the sea. Now John's big theme in writing this gospel is getting us to believe in Jesus properly. And Jesus rebuked the people who were following him for following him for the wrong reasons, for having wrong desires. John's second theme is Jesus perfectly accomplishing his Father's will. And we stopped last time where Jesus explained that his Father's will was that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. That's what he said. Now today we will see Jesus declaring the good news of the gospel to the people in a new way. And we'll also see the surprising result that the gospel declaration has. In this case, the gospel declaration ended up causing many people to stop following him. Well, if you think about what I just said, that he was just telling them they were following him for the wrong reasons, which means they were believing in him in the wrong way, it makes complete sense that when he declares the true gospel to them, that they don't find it appealing. And they don't want to have anything to do with him anymore, and so they leave. But nevertheless, it's shocking to us today because we're often uh, browbeaten into believing that the gospel is always positive and always appealing and always has this happy result. <clears throat> Nevertheless, let me show you how Jesus declares the gospel here and the sad outcome in this particular case for so many people. Please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 6, beginning in verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, 
so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So in verse 41 where we began, it seems as though there's a short break in time in Jesus' teaching, and we hear that the people were grumbling. They complained that he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. So they were listening to what he had said, and they began to process it, and they, hear, they, they put together the fact that he said that uh, he was the bread and that the bread is from heaven. And he, they, they merge the two and they say, okay, so he's saying he's the bread that came down out of heaven. And they complain about that. We see that at some point in this passage, um, Jesus has moved once again because it ends with him with saying that these words were spoken uh, while he was in the synagogue. And so at some point, we're not sure what the break, where the break is, but Jesus moves now from the other side of the sea to the synagogue on that side. It'll take a few hours probably. 
Um, and if you've ever been in a, uh, a deep theological discussion, you know that these things can pick up where they left off, that they can continue, that you can continue with your teaching on the next thing as long as you, you're, you know, you've got some continuity in your audience, you've got some continuity in, in terms of time, and that the, that the topic has continued to be discussed. So the topic is continuing to be discussed by these people that Jesus has just rebuked for following him for the wrong reasons. He says, you're just following me because you want, I gave you bread. But what you ought to want is the true bread. And they complain at that. They complain that he calls himself the bread that came down out of heaven. And the reason they complain about it is, it says, because they knew him and his parents. They say, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? The implication, of course, behind that is that he couldn't have come from heaven in their minds. Right? We know his mom and his dad. He couldn't have come from heaven. Well, so much of the time we see these kinds of objections to the gospel. Jesus has just been telling them to turn to himself. That is our only hope. That's the only hope that anybody could ever have in this life and in the world to come, is to turn to Jesus. And yet they're unwilling to turn to Jesus because they say that these things are too natural. Jesus is, Jesus is too normal. He's just a man in their mind. Now, it doesn't matter the fact that he had just fed them 5,000 of them with a few loaves of bread, they're insistent that there is simply a, that, that, that this is just a, that this is, this is not nearly what they wanted out of Jesus. Jesus is not what they were looking for. So much of the time, this is the response that people have today to the good news of the gospel. The message that we have, they say, well, Jesus was not impressive. I saw posted on Facebook a, a blasphemous video by a comedian making fun of Jesus because he couldn't get down off of the cross. He could feed 5,000, the guy said, but, you know, three nails defeated him? Not nearly impressive enough for this man to turn to. This is the complaint of the people, that Jesus is, Jesus is not nearly impressive enough. He, had, he, was, just, he was just this, this guy who they knew his parents. And this is, this is the, the complaint that you'll hear not just about Jesus, but about yourself as well. That you're not nearly impressive enough as a messenger. That you're just a normal person.
when people complain that God hasn't spoken from the clouds to them directly, they complain that the message was just given in this to, to normal men to write down in a normal book. Here it is. And if he really wanted, if there was really a God and he really wanted us to know, wouldn't he give us something impressive? A message from the heavens that everyone heard and everybody understood. Don't be ashamed. It is very normal, and yet it's not normal. It's not just a book, it is the book. He is not just a man, he is the man. And yet the people are complaining. Interestingly, when you get to verse 61, they're continuing to complain. He says, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And the implication here is that Jesus is saying, you know, right now you complain that I'm too normal. I've got a mom and a dad. I'm speaking here, you know, as a physical man about physical things, about bread, and about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. So, you, so th- this, this isn't nearly what you're expecting, but, but what if I was ascending to where I came from, back into heaven? And the implication is that they would complain about that. He goes, if, you, if this causes you to grumble and to stumble and to complain, then what are you going to do when the switch is flipped And we're dealing with the amazing reality of me going back to heaven. Then you're going to complain that I'm not here. And isn't that what we get today? The complaint that Jesus isn't here. And so when Jesus starts teaching again, he tells them not to complain. And then he states, point blank, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is his answer to the complaint. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, he knows they haven't been drawn and thus they cannot come to him. This is a hard truth. It's not something that we enjoy thinking about saying. It's certainly, it's certainly not something that we would assume should be said to people. To people who are interested in following Jesus. To say to them, no one can come to Jesus unless the Heavenly Father draws him. Well, that's just going to turn people off, isn't it? Not going to be effective. And yet Jesus opens his, they're complaining, and he opens his teaching in response to their complaint by saying, 
you cannot come unless the Father draws you. And then he closes it by saying, for this reason I said, you cannot come unless the Father draws you. So it's the bookends that Jesus uses in this particular time of teaching. The bookends are his declaration of God's sovereignty in election and who he's saving. Not the, not the most obvious choice of things to say to people who are interested in following Jesus, is it? But the important thing to realize is that this is calculated to divide them into those who are called and those who are not called. It's, it's calculated, actually, to cause them to desire him as they ought to desire him. It is a truth that is used by God the Father to draw some to himself. Isn't that crazy? It's important for us to realize that this is a group of people that's made up of you know two, two kinds of people, those who are truly called by the Father to follow to to, to come to Jesus and those who are not called to come to Jesus. Those who are not called don't want to come. It's not that they want to, but they can't. They're offended by how he came, by how he appears, by who he claims to be, by what he does, nothing could make them want to follow him except the Holy Spirit changing their heart to desire those things, the Jesus that actually is. Remember I talked about the Jesus that we want to worship and the Jesus that actually is a few weeks back? The Spirit is the one who has to change our desires so that we want to worship the true Jesus. So that we desire those things the way he truly is. That statement that Jesus makes, that they cannot come unless the Father draws them, leads to Jesus then pushing the idea of himself being the bread of life even further. So he says, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you because you don't want the way I, you don't want me, you don't want what I am. Now let me explain to you what I am. I am the bread of life that came down out of heaven. And let, let, me, let me teach you more about that. So he's explaining 
who he is and saying, you can't come to me because you have to be drawn. You have to have your desires changed by the Spirit to want this. So it makes complete sense that then when he explains what this is, what he is, that you're going to have a fair number of the people who are not drawn understand more accurately what it is that he is and think, I don't want that, and leave. You follow? So in other words, what Jesus is doing is he's pushing the idea that they found offensive further, up into their faces, making them smell it, taste it, experience it more accurately, more clearly. And so he says, not only am I bread, but... I'm better bread than your father's ever got. And of course he's referring to the manna that the, that, that the Jews received in the wilderness. How is he better? Well, he says, if anyone eats of this bread, verse 51, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he makes it more explicit. His flesh. His body. That very thing that offended them, that he was not some super spiritual amazing being, but was just a man in their, standing in their presence. He, you know, he says, here, this. Right here. This body, this is... This is the bread that I give to you. This very thing that you find offensive because it's, it's, it's not impressive enough. This is what I offer as the bread. This is the bread that will give you life. And so they respond by being even more confused and upset with him. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Valid question, right? So he continues, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, He who eats this bread will live forever. So they're saying to themselves, is he really saying we've got to eat his body? And Jesus responds with, let's see, 
verse 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, reiterating it over and over and over and over and over again, six different times in six different ways, he says, yes, you have to eat me. You have to partake of me. That's what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. Now, this morning we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. So here we have the body and blood of Christ, right? This is, the, this is what we hear each and every week. And it may be tempting for you to read this passage and think, oh, I understand what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about communion. He was talking about the Lord's Supper, right? But that's not what Jesus was talking about here. That's to get it exactly wrong, okay? Jesus is not telling them that they need to partake in the Lord's Supper to be saved. He's saying they need to partake of him in order to be saved. They need to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to be saved. But what we have here is not the teaching that by celebrating the Lord's Supper, you are saved. Does that make sense? And so if he was talking about the Lord's Supper, the only way you could take this passage is to understand it to mean that those who partake in this supper are saved. He reiterates it over and over and over and over again. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. That is a declaration, a promise, a statement. If he's talking about communion, what that means is if you take it, He is in you and you are in him, period. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If he's talking about the Lord's Supper, that means anyone who takes this is saved, period. End of story. And of course, this is exactly what he doesn't mean. So if he's not talking about the Lord's Supper, then what is he talking about? What he is talking about is his death, his sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. His body will be broken. His blood will be shed. He will be the sacrifice. When he says, the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What he's saying is, right here, this body, I am going to give it as the sacrifice for the life of the world. This here is the bread. What he's doing is he's proclaiming the gospel to them. 
they need to partake in a sacrifice. They need to partake in a sacrifice. Now, this is precisely what we declare in the Lord's Supper. But it is not what the Lord's Supper is. Do you understand the difference? This is not a re-sacrificing of the body of Christ, as the Roman Catholics say. To make that into the re-sacrificing is to make it into the very thing that you have to do, the very way to partake. You make it into the literal flesh and the literal blood of Christ, you make it into a little, literal re-sacrificing, and you make it into literally what you have to do to be saved. It's that simple. And yet Jesus says in verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. You can't avoid that. that, If if you're inclined to argue with me and say, no, this this isn't Jesus giving them the gospel, then I point you to Jesus' declaration there, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. What is he saying? He's saying the words that I just got done saying, I just got done explaining to you how to have life, how to be saved. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The good news is that Jesus offers himself. Jesus offers himself in our place. The Jews understood sacrifices. Those who are involved in the sacrifice, eat of the sacrifice, the flesh. And so when the Jews sacrificed a lamb in the Old Testament, the very act of eating the lamb was a declaration that they were looking to the sacrifice. And that sacrifice was just representative of the one sacrifice to come, Jesus Christ. And so when he says, no, better than anything that your father's ever had to eat, I offer you the real sacrifice, this body, my body, my blood. And this sacrifice will bring real life.
And how do the people respond? They respond by grumbling again. And so Jesus says, the flesh profits nothing. Life comes from the Spirit. And this is, this is the primary reason that people reject the gospel. They don't want the flesh to profit nothing. They love the flesh. And they don't want the, the, the benefit to come by the Spirit. In other words, they're unwilling to partake of Jesus. To partake of Jesus is to turn to him in spirit and in truth. To partake of Jesus is to turn away from trusting in the flesh. It's to turn away from trusting in any other sacrifice. The sacrifice of rams and bulls and lambs avails nothing, accomplishes nothing. All it does is point us to Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Lent, anything that you give up, accomplishes nothing. And so people are unwilling to partake of Jesus. Because on the one hand, he's not impressive enough. And on the other hand, they think that what they can do is more impressive. Jesus just keeps saying, you've got to partake of me. You've got to partake of me. You've got to eat me. You've got to eat me. Eat my body. There's a, there's a way in which uh, I can explain some of, you know, what, the, what this talks about, I can talk about the necessity of bread for life. You've got to eat to, be, to stay alive. And try to get you to use that to remember. You know, throughout the day, you know, you eat three times at least. I do, anyway. Every single day. And... You can remember every time you eat that you've got to you've got to partake of Jesus. And that's true and part of the gift of eating. That we learn how we have to constantly be turning to Jesus and partaking of Jesus. But there's a sense in which All of these, you know, all of these 
physical ways of understanding this stuff are uh, subpar in their ability to explain it to us. This is, this is spiritually understood. You spiritually appraise this. You feel this in your heart. What does it mean to partake of Jesus? Well, it means that nothing else will do. It means that your desire is for him. You don't partake of things that you don't want. And the whole description that Jesus gives of us eating and drinking himself offered for us. You've you've got to respond you've got to respond one of two ways. Either you have to be disgusted by that or you have to delight in it. This is not a food that you can take indifferently. Do you understand that? You you can't You know, it's it's not like uh I don't know. Filler. It's not like oatmeal. You know, like, eh, kind of bland, kind of tasteless. I guess I can, I guess I can chomp some down, you know, or swallow it, whatever. No, this is, this is the thought of something completely different. Flesh and blood of Jesus. Will it be delightful to you and you'll always want it? Be seeking him. Or will the thought disgust you? Those are the only two choices. And so when Jesus closes and reminds them of what he said at the beginning, the gift of desiring God comes from the Father. Right? Then then we understand, okay, yeah, I mean, you're just not going to want this. You're not going to have this desire unless God changes your desires, changes your heart to desire this very thing. The sacrifice, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ poured out on our behalf. And if he's your hope, then nothing else could be more desirous to you. If he's your hope, you couldn't come up with a better 
thing to consume. But if he's not your hope, no thanks. I don't want to have anything to do with that. All that does is remind me of my guilt. All that does is remind me that I'm putting my hope in the flesh instead of the spirit. All that does is remind me that God is going to judge me one day. All that does is disgust me. And so many of the people turn away from him. When a church proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, many, many people will find that disgusting because it will remind them, it will be the stench of death to that group. But on the other hand, those who are being saved, it will be the smell of eternal life, and they'll say, I want to eat it. I can't get enough of it. Give me that gospel. I need more of that good news. Where is Jesus? I want some more of him. How do I take him with me tomorrow and the next day? I'm not going to make it through Wednesday without Jesus. I need some Jesus. And so what? We start having daily mass and having a sacrifice so that you can come and eat every day? No! This is not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus gave us the command to celebrate the Lord's Supper so that we would remember this truth that we must partake of him. It's for our benefit. This, this is really a benefit to us, this meal. Why is it really a benefit to us? Well, it's his grace to us. When we partake of it. But one of the primary ways that it is a grace to us is in reminding us that it is not the flesh that profits us. It is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And this is spiritually understood. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.